Well, let's dive into the message this morning for Palm Sunday. I don't always teach a Palm Sunday message. Uh, I didn't last year or the year. In fact, I had to go all the way back to 2015 to find an actual Palm Sunday message. So I'm going to preach a Palm Sunday message today, but I bet it's going to be a message like one you have never, ever, ever heard. All right? So you're going to have to, really, you're going to, have to really listen and pay attention because uh, we're going we're gonna to rock some religious boats today, okay? So um, we're going to start off first with Matthew chapter 21. Now I'm going to skip the first six verses. In the first six verses, there are two prophecies that are fulfilled concerning Jesus coming in lowly on the colt of a donkey, and um, that comes from Zechariah and Isaiah. We're gonna, the donkey's already been taken for the, for the service of the Lord, which is Jesus riding into Jerusalem. This is also called the triumphant entry, and it's Jesus triumphantly entering into Jerusalem for his final time, which starts what we all know as Holy Week, basically starts today, all right? And over the next five, six days, a lot of things are going to happen, and things are going to move really, really fast, really fast. Jesus will weep over the city. Jesus will have a moment of extreme agony and even say out loud, if it's your will, God, let this cut pass. That's how hard it was for him in complete agony. He would literally weep tears of blood, and he would wrestle with the Lord in the garden, and he would accept the final call to the cross. He would be tried six different times, six times, before finally being convicted. And then we know the story of all the things that happen. You have Passover. He becomes the Passover lamb. He suffers. He takes all of the beatings, the scourging, the mocking, everything on our behalf. And it's a brutal thing of what happens basically this coming Friday and Saturday. And then we know what happens on Sunday right? We all know Resurrection Sunday, but the next week is going to be a really crazy time for Jesus. But today I want to actually focus on a couple of key things that happens on Palm Sunday. It's called Palm Sunday because the multitudes would grab palm branches as a sign of royalty and wave them over him and lay them with their clothes down the road Palm branches, uh, I've done a whole teaching on palm trees in the past. A palm tree is a real sign of royalty. Deborah, who was a woman judge leader over the entire nation of Israel, sat under a ministry called the palm tree of Deborah. And in Revelation, those that overcame and who had their robes dipped in blood and now they're white as snow, they would literally worship with palm branches, right? So palm branches is a really cool thing, but we're not focusing on that, nor are we focusing on the donkeys today, though I have a lot to say about donkeys. I have had donkeys. They're the most stubborn animal I've ever had, and Jesus would somehow miraculously break the donkey. That, that might be, have been a good message title, break the donkey, but we're not breaking donkeys today, all right? So Matthew 21, let's just pick up at verse 6. I'll read the story, and then we'll do some teaching and pray for you. So the disciples went and did as Jesus commanded them. They brought the donkey and the colt, laid their clothes on them, and set him on them. And a very great multitude spread their clothes. By the way, you know that there were two donkeys. It was a, a mother donkey or a Jenny and her colt. And Jesus rode the baby. Okay? But again, I'm not talking about donkeys today. Just thought it'd be a fun fact. Most people don't know that. All right? 
And so, verse 8, And a very great multitude spread their clothes on the road. Others cut down branches from the trees and spread them on the road. Then the multitudes who went before, and those who followed, cried out, saying, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he had come into Jerusalem, all the city was moved, saying, Who is this? So the multitude said, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth of Galilee. Then Jesus went into the temple of God and drove out all those who bought and sold in the temple and overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold doves. And he said to them, It is written, My house shall be called a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of thieves. Then the blind and the lame came to him in the temple, and he healed them. But when the chief priests and scribes saw the wonderful things that he did and the children crying out in the temple and saying, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant and said to him, do you hear what these are saying? And Jesus said to them, yes, have you never read out of the mouth of babes and nursing infants, you have perfected praise. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for wisdom on this message. Thank you for the truth and the life that you bring right into our everyday life. Thank you, God, for a spirit of wisdom and revelation, understanding and knowledge about your word and how it challenges us to consistently and continually live and love and praise and worship and celebrate differently and authentically. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. So I want to actually go back to verse 9 here. Verse 9 comes from Psalm 118, verse 25 and 26. So let's just take a look back at, at Psalm 9. I'm sorry, verse 9. In verse 9, the multitudes were saying, Hosanna, which literally means come and save and rescue us now. Okay? That's what that means. It means we need you. We know we need you. We're desperate for you. Come and rescue and save us. Save us now. Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And again, this comes from Psalm 118, verse 25. Psalm 118, verse 25 is where we get save now. And the closest Hebrew word that is translated into Greek is Hosanna. All right? You don't see Hosanna in the Old Testament. You see save now. Save now, I pray, O Lord. But I want you to see this next part. O Lord, I pray, send now prosperity. Verse 26, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We have blessed you from the house of the Lord. Except that these people weren't actually praising God in the house of the Lord. They were the multitudes in the street. But there was somebody that we're going to find here in just a minute that was in the house of the Lord saying the same thing. Two sets of people praising God, saying, save us now, O Lord. And so I have a little bit of an issue with the multitudes. So you have in the multitude, you have people that were crying out for God to save them. And they had a picture in their mind of what that salvation would look like. That picture would look like a rescue from the dysfunctional grip and control of Rome and Caesar that they'd be fully established as a nation, and I would suggest to say that they would have another level of prosperity. Hence, 
the scripture in Psalm 118. Save now, I pray, Lord, and send now prosperity. The problem is, is Jesus didn't do what they thought he should do the way that they thought he should do it. And I've taught this before. This isn't the new revelation. It's important that you understand it. What they didn't understand is that the way to prosperity was death. The way to prosperity was suffering. So in one moment, they're shouting out, throwing down their clothes and the palm branches of royalty. And just five days later, the multitudes would be crying out, crucify him. Why? Because when Jesus doesn't do what we think he should do the way we think he should do it, when we want him to do it, the natural tendency is to question God and question who he is, question his faithfulness, his goodness, his lordship, his favor, his kindness, his love, and then you start to eat from the wrong tree. And then you die. And then you want others to die because you become angry and you become bitter. And so Jesus, instead of being kingly and powerful, would be lowly and meek. I guess they really didn't fully understand. Now, in the multitudes, who was there? So you had disciples of Jesus. Um, uh, Jesus had over 500 disciples. So he had, you had disciples from Galilee that, that followed him from Jericho all the way to Jerusalem. And I've been there. By walk, it's a few days of a walk. And so they get to Jerusalem, and here comes Jesus on a donkey, and they have an expectation. And the Bible says, in what we just read, that the whole city was moved, literally like an earthquake. They were moved. There was power. There was presence. It was incredible. But the people probably didn't really know what they were crying out for. We knew what they wanted, but the way that it would come and how they would get there would look differently than what they thought. And so you had a whole different mix of people. And I love that when the city said, who is this? The response was, this is the prophet from Galilee. You see, Jesus is much more than just a prophet. He's more than a prophet. Now, I would say that some people believed that he was the Messiah. I mean, they said Hosanna to the son of David. That's a messianic term. But in general, the challenge often comes down to we have an expectation of what Jesus should do and how he should do it when he should do it, and the way he should do it. And what happens when none of those things happen the way you think it should happen? Doesn't it seem like that's the life that we constantly live? It does. And so we're the ones that manifest. We just want to make sure we don't manifest like they did five days later. So then the the first thing that Jesus does when he gets to the temple is he cleanses out the money changers and those that sold doves and changed money in the temple. There's always a cleansing that comes when there's a visitation from God. You see, I've been saying this a lot lately. I'm going to remind it to you again. The Lord loves you so much that he will not let you stay the same. And we say, God, we need you. And he says, I love you. I have these moments in my life where I feel so comforted by God and consoled where I just weep and cry. I've had that more so in this recent season. But I want to tell you that your house shall be called a house of constant communion. I'm going to say it. Your house is a house of communication. Your house is a signal. Your house is a place where God wants to constantly lead you, guide you, and talk to you. It's a house of prayer. 
but you have made it a den of thieves. So God says, we're going to deal with the den. And our prayer should be, God, deal with my den. What is inside of us that is corrupt, that makes it... See, you know why it's called a den of thieves? Because the very same people that were, that were corrupting it would go back to it asking for, for forgiveness and thinking that their sins would be covered while they continued to practice the same thing. It's a den of thieves. It's robbery. Now, the money changers, one of the worst things that the money changers were doing is they were charging a premium price of interest to exchange pagan money, which was not acceptable in the temple. It was so corrupt that they would literally charge extra money to do something illegal so that the people could do the, what they thought was the right thing before God in the temple. It was so corrupt. It was so corrupt. And so here comes Jesus when he rides in finally. Now, by the way, this is the second time Jesus overturned the money table. Jesus did it twice. But this one, this one would take it to the next level. Because God doesn't want any area of your life to be corrupt. So he loves you enough to, uh, to come and deal with whatever is corrupt in our hearts. That's why I tell you when things spring start popping and you start manifesting, the best thing you do is praise God and stop blaming it on the devil. Because God's not going to let you stay the same. Let's just rejoice in that. Anytime. There's going to be a visitation. God's going to deal with the corruption. Think about it. We cry out for revival. We want God's presence. I'm so grateful for the cloud of God's presence in this church. God, I want more. I want more. He says, okay, you're going to get more. But with that more comes the dealing, the manifesting, the revealing People start manifesting. You know, the presence of God draws everything. The good, the bad, and the ugly. And that doesn't bother me unless people get toxic and cancerous. Now, there was something extremely toxic and cancerous in this temple. There was a cancer in the temple. In fact, there were several cancers. Because the money changers and those that sold doves, they were probably all about the business. They weren't the religious leaders. But where do you think their profits and money was going? It was a cover-up. There's deception everywhere, folks. And the deception here was that the money, they were allowed by the religious leaders to set up their tables and their booths at the temple and any extra money, a little off the top, would go back to the temple priests and the Pharisees and the Sadducees. So Jesus had to deal with that. Don't think for a second that Jesus can't deal with the deception and the corruption that's happening in this world. Psalm chapter 8, which we're going to read a little bit of. You don't need to go there now. I'm just going to tell you, in Psalm chapter 8, verse 6, it makes it very clear that man was made to have dominion. And some people are like, oh, the whole dominion theology thing. Listen, the only dominion you'll ever have is with complete lordship of Christ. Be strong in the Lord, Ephesians 6.10, and the power of his dominion. It says might, but it means dominion. You have no dominion without him. And if you don't do it his way, you'll never rule the way that he wants, that you're supposed to. He made man. What is man that you're mindful of him? 
when I think of the stars and the work of your fingers, man, I got chills just talking about that. It's like, oh man, I love creation. I'm going to hit, I always hit this, my church is the outdoors thing. Why? Because you ponder the greatness of God and you feel close, but maybe the deeper rooted issue is you have issues with people. Or church, or church hurt, or past pastor stuff, whatever. That's why it's so important for us as a church to not be divisive. Maybe I'm the issue, so I better check myself before I wreck myself. So when my fingers want to type, I tie a ring around them. When my mouth wants to say, I zip the lip. And if Jesus isn't saying it or typing it, don't say it or type it. You know, I've often talked about our church. If I could define our church as one church of all the churches of Revelation in the Bible, it would be the church of Ephesus. But even after Paul left in in Acts 20, he said, you better be careful because within you, ravenous wolves are going to rise up to divide you within the house. And that's the deceptive lie of the devil is to divide because a house divided... So if you, aren't, if you aren't renewing your mind and meditating on what God says and you're listening to the world and you got your righteous indignation thing to set the church straight because it's got all these problems, you better double think before you say something. I'm not saying we're perfect either, just so that you know. You probably could find all kinds of stuff to talk about. In fact, my motto is, let's give them something to talk about. <laughs> Man, why do they worship that long? Why are they so loud? Why are they so extravagant? They believe in that prophecy. You all pray in tongues. You cast out demons still today. You mean that still happens? Yes, that still happens. So God wanted a house of prayer instead of a den of thieves. So I still haven't even got to my main point of the message. There's so much in Palm Sunday. I'm summarizing for you. The main thing is to make sure you and your house is not a den of thieves. And when things are manifesting in your life, is it possible that Jesus is paying a visit and maybe he wants to stay for good and not just pass by? So he's saying, oh, don't pass me by. He's like, I don't want to pass you by. I want to make a habitation. But when Jesus comes, what's the first thing he's going to deal with? Any corruption. So things start manifesting. I'm okay with that as long as it doesn't become toxic and cancerous. The problem is, is so many of us, our manifestation tends to go to Facebook. Please, friends, the world is watching. If you want to combust, take it to the Lord. He can handle it. 32 of the songs. I have people in this church that I meet with that literally cuss me out and sometimes send me scathing messages. I can handle it. I have grace for it. I don't like it right? But God can handle it. 32 of the Psalms are open complaints. I can read stuff in the Psalms and in Solomon's life that I'm like, oh man, he straight up missed it. But God put it in the Bible for a reason to show the humanity and the faithfulness of God and the love of God for you, despite you. Now I'm going to give you something so awesome. What's the first thing that happened after Jesus cleansed the temple? 
No. The lame and the blind showed up. Woo! He said, where are the miracles? God, we're waiting on you. He says, no, I'm waiting on you. Because I'm going to bring the lame and the blind. Because healing's in my nature. The problem is, is if we're, our house is a house of a den of thieves, let me tell you this. I know there were great healing revivalists that were completely corrupt, and God still used them. I don't understand that. But instead of trying to figure that out, what I'd rather say is, I want to see a great healing revival and be healthy and not corrupt or a den of thieves. Because you know what happened to so many of those great ministers, even in the Bible? There were many of them. Many of them. They did incredible, wondrous things, and their kids never served God, and they were corrupt. Aaron, Samuel, Gideon, Solomon, David. What matters the most? Your great ministry and all the wonderful, powerful things or the legacy you're leaving behind the kids? See, I, I'm so glad I got this. Or all I'd be about is the revival and the healing movements and, all, and church 24-7. It's like we pray for revival. I'm like, man, I don't think I could handle revival right now. I don't think this church could handle revival in the way that we know it, the way we define it cars backed up to the island or all the way back to Crosstown. That's the way it was in Brownsville, Smithton, Toronto. Hundreds of thousands of people coming in from all over the world only to come and get touched. And met. they're still great legacies, but then to leave and not build a house. And all those houses today have suffered. Even the communities have suffered. Lakeland, some of you don't know what I'm talking about, but I do. What if revival is going to look different? This goes right into Palm Sunday because they thought revival was about to happen, didn't they? Oh, man, the city was moved. Earthquake. Woo, here comes Jesus, right? I know it's a donkey now, but it'll be a horse tomorrow. It's got, I, I'm sure they did not like the donkey thing. I'm sure they didn't. But I'm telling you guys, you have to see we're building something so much bigger and it takes time. And when Jesus or I or the leaders or the church doesn't do something the way you think they should, when they should, and how they should, are you going to manifest or are you going to stay the course and be spirit-led and trust God? Because I'm not your savior, he is, and the church has a greater purpose. It's designed to be the contrast for family and children. So if this is all about you as a parent, we got a problem. This isn't about, I care way more about what's coming behind us at this point. Once you hit 50, you'll see it. But I hope you see it at 30. Jordan sees it in his 30s. Jeremy, so many others. Colton and Morgan, many of you are, are getting it now. The blind and the lame came the, the, as soon as Jesus showed up and cleansed the temple. But there will always be skeptics, naysayers, backstabbers, gospers, lying tongues, all of which God's hate, God hates. Go read Proverbs 6, I believe it is. There's seven things God hates. God hates discord, strife, contention. He hates it because it divides his family. Listen, the more spiritual you become and the more your eyes get open, the more discernment you have and the more stuff you see. 
And the closer you get, the more gets revealed to you. And if you don't have the character of God and you don't abide, what you see will kill you and make you manifest. And now you get closer to the Lord and closer to his church and you start to see all the issues. And you go, oh my God, I never knew that was there. I can't take it. I got to get out of there. The devil wins. That's why so many churches just won't even teach you to flame on or be prophetic. The last thing we want you to do is be prophetic. Sheesh. Because then you might see something. Man, I've never, ever said that before, ever. You ever thought about that? So you see the deception. What are you going to do with it? Now, I'm just going to confess publicly I don't know of any deception going on in this church and my hands are clean, my heart is clean, my marriage is strong. I have lots of accountability. I'm not robbing, stealing, thieving or any of that that I know of unless there's something hidden there that I don't. So I cry out every day, God, if there's anything inside my heart that's not of you, the last thing I ever want to do is think that I have it all together and you don't. The thing is, most pastors won't talk about deception and you being able to see things. In fact, the truth is, is that I want to see it more. So when God revealed it to me a few years back and I had a renaissance moment in my heart, I cried for seven hours because I didn't know it was there. And it's changed my life forever. Still talk about it to this day. In fact, the way it changed me was now I see it more often and I'm quick to deal with it rather than cover it up. Why? Because I feel safe in perfect love. If you don't feel safe in perfect love, you won't want anything to get dealt with. Well, I hope, I hope I get to my main point today. You have to understand God hates it. Hate. Stop. These people... The skeptics, the naysayers, the backstabbers will see the wonderful works of God and the transformed lives and yet still judge gossip and become indignant against the move of God for all kinds of reasons. Today, I'll call those people pharisaical Christians. And these people will literally witness countless lives being transformed, healed, flamed on, people praying in the spirit. People live their whole lives not even knowing the fullness of the gospel. They'll literally be a part of it and in turn will turn against it. That's what the Pharisees did. Notice this, when they saw the wonderful things that Jesus did and something else that happened, they became indignant. They were literally witnessing miracles of the lame and the blind being healed and didn't care because in their minds, something was off. I'd rather this be like a manger. It was prophesied Rock City is like Bethlehem, a house of bread. And Jesus was born in a messy place. And I know some people want it all nice and pretty. I don't do nice and pretty well. And the presence of God blows everything up. (laughs) It blows everything up. And so... Look at here, when the Pharisees, the chief priests, scribes, Pharisees, Sadducees, saw the wonderful things that he did and the children, I'm going to say that this probably made him the maddest. I'm going to say that the people in the streets, eh, maybe not so much. The multitudes, maybe not so much because they probably knew the multitudes could be swayed in five days. 
and they would be at the helm of swaying them. They probably knew that. Think of all the atrocities that happen in the world around us and they're soon forgotten. But when they saw the wonderful works and the children crying out in the temple and saying, Hosanna to the son of David, save us, they became indignant. I would suggest that the children crying out took it to the next level. I would also suggest what moved the heart of God more than anything was the children crying out. The praise of a child. We often talk about childlike faith. Let's change, change it or add to it and call it childlike praise. And it's the only praise that drives back demonic forces and silences those very lies that are manifesting in our lives. It's the same ones that manifest every day. Jesus would quote Psalm 8 too. Let's look at it real quick. I'm going to have to go a little faster. I'm not going to finish. Psalm 8 too. Out of the mouth of babes. And now this one really baffles me for a moment. There's some things I would like to say here that I'm not going to say, except that the babies are nursing and children out of their mouths. And when I think this is such a beautiful scripture, because when you really try to think about that a nursing infant can't even talk, I'm going to reiterate, unless you become like a child, repeatedly, repeatedly, repeatedly. The greatest of the kingdom is a child. Because lest you think because of your power, your words, your all these things, that God is going to use you and do something great in you, it's none of you and all of him. It's none of your deserving. It's simple childlike trust, even to the point of a nursing babe. And then I think about what that baby's eating and who they're latched onto as their mother and what's coming out of their mom. Because it really comes down to the parents. And so out of these children, God ordained strength or another way to interpret ordained strength the way that Jesus said it is perfected praise. Why? Why is God perfecting praise out of children and nursing infants? Because of his enemies that they may be silenced, the enemy and the avenger. In Luke chapter 19, when the Pharisees told Jesus to tell the children to stop, you know what he said? If they stop, the rocks will cry out. If they stop and keep silent, the stones will immediately cry out. Nothing moves heaven and earth like childlike praise. It's the ultimate weapon of spiritual warfare. Now, it's us also becoming like a child, even to the point of a nursing infant. It's us coming to the place of no matter what I'm facing, no matter what I'm going through, no matter what you did last night, no matter who you like or don't like, no matter what the style of the music is, I don't care if it's coming out of a Casio keyboard, which I've had to worship multiple times with a techno drum kit out of a Casio keyboard. And I'd manifest, I'm like, this is horrible worship. And God dealt with me and he said, you better get your hands up and praise me because it's not about that. It's, I'm looking at you. We have all these preconceived ideas and conditions of why we choose to worship or not. And so I'm going to tell you something about this here in just a moment that's so powerful. But I want you to understand that childlike praise is the ultimate weapon of spiritual warfare. 
because it drives back. It's silence. So your loudness makes him silent. You're not being silent makes the enemy against you be silent. Why? I don't care if you're going through the valley of the shadow of death or hell and high water. I have learned the power of praise and worship and I've made the decision no matter what I face and I learned this scripture. The lame were being healed. The scribes and the Pharisees were like the avengers saying, shut them down, shut them down, quiet them down, stop them, stop them. He says, oh, you don't understand. If they stop, the rocks are gonna cry out. And on one side, that's a beautiful thing because all creation cries out. But on another side, it's important that you understand if rocks and timbers have to cry out, it's a tragedy. It'd be a tragedy. And the greater tragedy is children being silent. See, in Habakkuk chapter two, verse 11, God's judging Israel. And he says, y'all are jacked up. Paraphrase, go read Habakkuk two. He says, y'all are so jacked up that what's actually about to happen is judgment's coming. And here's the judgment. The stones are gonna cry out from the wall and the beam from the timbers are gonna answer it. Literally, the house will have a call and response. But who was supposed to be calling and responding in the house? This is God's answer to the den of thieves. It should have been a house of prayer. There should have been call and response, harp and bowl, singing, worshiping. That's what we had today. And instead we come and say, man, they, they sang for 25 minutes, not a song that I knew or a lyric that I knew. I would imagine the best song you ever heard or hymn you ever heard when it first came out, somebody was sitting in the congregation saying, I don't know this song, sing another. What is the posture of worship in your heart? You want another Hillsong, another Bethel, another old hymn? Or do you want authentic and real right now in the moment of what the Spirit's saying and doing? And then what are we teaching our children? Because if the children aren't praising, judgment's coming. And where's it coming? It's, it's Malachi 4, 6. God will turn the hearts of the fathers to the sons and the sons of the fathers, lest I strike the earth with a curse. Why? Because the children are being lost. And the fathers are bitter. And that, that's God saying, I'm going to shake the rafters. And this isn't a shaking you want. Childlike praise moves heaven and earth. It moves the heart of God towards us and our situation. It moves the enemy towards you as well. So, man, I don't know what happened. I, I started coming to Rock City and I started flaming on for the Lord. And things seemed to get worse flat tires and manifestation home. I got guest ministers and friends like Brad McLennan comes to town. Anytime Brad comes to town or even Kevin, I'm like, stuff starts manifesting in our house the week before. Why? Because the Lord's coming closer and he's not gonna let us stay the same. It's not fear. It's like, all right, God. Now it's gotten easier. Like, cut me open. Just cut me open. Whatever. No, I don't need any anesthesia. Just cut it open. Get it out. So praise moves heaven and earth and it moves the heart of God towards us and our situation, but it also moves the enemy towards you. But what happens is, as the enemy comes, he gets shut up. You open up, he shuts up. You know how many times I walk in here and I've been hearing lies and deception, fear, worry. You know how many times over all the years I had nightmares the night before? 
You know how many times the devil tried to put questions in my head? You know how many times I partied it up till two in the morning in my early days and drugged myself in after drinking and sleeping around? And you know what I learned? Somehow I had this childlike thing in me. I, don't, I want you to get this. Whatever you're going through, the most greatest tragedy you could ever do is not get your hands up. But the even greater tragedy is not for you, it's who's watching you. I'm, I wrote these things, listen to this. Childlike praise has to always happen. We have to repent for holding our children back. Repent for holding your children back. Or maybe being like the religious leaders. I have to deal with this all the time in a church like this. I, there's so many people that just don't like something. I don't even know what in the world how in the world can somebody be so mad at the local church? I really wonder to myself, oh, you got hurt? Man, I've had pastors call, tell me all kinds of stuff. And I forgive them for they know not what the last thing I want to do is cut the hem of a garment. I don't want to be, I don't want to do what David did to Saul, even though Saul was, God will deal with Saul. It's not my job to deal with Saul. So the religious leaders can be here. It could be in you. Why is that person shouting like that? Why are they on the floor? Why are they manifesting? Why are they shaking? Why are they praying in tongues? How come they're lifting their, la- their hands? Why in the world was worship so long? Why is it so loud? Why, why, why? Skeptic, skeptic, skeptic. The word skeptic in the Greek is the word scorpion. And I know a few things about scorpions because I have them out at my property. You know where the scorpions are? In the last place you expect it. Hiding in the place you never saw. Right where you stuck your finger. Lifting up something you didn't. So now, after getting so many scorpions out, I'm like, I better be careful when I lift that wood pile or pick up that brick. Maybe we haven't praised in the midst of incredible warfare. Uh, I'm going to read something to you my wife sent me, and then I'm going to pray. I want to tell you guys that one of my favorite people that we listen to is um, Graham Cook. I would highly recommend you all listen to his Brilliant Perspectives podcast. It, listen, it's, it is so incredible. And my wife's like, man, I was listening to Graham Cook, and particularly the one titled that, that came out in January, What Are You Believing God For in Your Situation? I've been talking about situation. We're in a situation. And Amber wrote this down. Rejoicing denies the possibility of doubt and anxiety. Rejoice this. My wife sent this to me. Rejoicing denies the possibility of doubt and anxiety. It's the barrier for the things that are forming against you. As you rejoice in who God is and that he's for you, your believing escalates into faith that can actually move a mountain. It's the response in the valley of the shadow. Though I walk through, I'm walking through. Rod and staff, praise precepts. No matter what you face. And that's what your children see. So the greater tragedy is when we tell our children 
or show our children. Say, I don't tell my children how to, I, I teach them about what raising their hands means, but I tell them you don't have to raise your hands if you don't want to. And guess what they're doing? Raising their hands, right? I don't make my kids worship, but I make them come to church. If they want to not go to church when they're of age, that's their choice. But a greater tragedy is not consistently bringing their children to the temple. Think about this. Jesus gets to the temple, and who's there? The children cry out. If the children weren't there, that would have been the biggest tragedy of them all. And then the next thing I'd say is not teaching them at home. Don't leave it up to us to just teach your kids. There's something that happens here that you'll only get corporately that you'll never get privately. That's why you need church. I'm telling you right now, last week, this happens to me consistently in worship, but last week I want to tell you about a quick experience. I was sitting here, I jacked my back up, doing all kinds of stuff on our property, mowing for hours, bouncing around, cleaning, weed eating, all kinds of stuff. And I have an, an old back injury from uh, pole vaulting and wrestling. And I was like, I had to sit down. But I've also been so overwhelmed in this situation that we, some of you know, some of you don't know, we're fighting to, to adopt a little girl, or we are adopting a little girl. That's what we're believing for. Final hearing's coming up. It's been a crazy situation. We're, we're trusting God no matter what happens. But anyway, I've, been, I've had these moments lately where I've been overwhelmingly weak and like super fragile. Like I would cry at a hat. And then if I got, if I heard some bad news, like all the bad news happened at one time. And then I just cry some more because I'm like, God, it's your church. You deal with them. But I'll pray for them. I'll love them, right? I don't want to be like Moses, like, Lord, kill me and take them, wipe them out. And so I came in, I was sitting here, and I'm just going to say this. There were your, your family and others, y'all, whoever was behind me, the front was packed with people standing up, and I was seeing children everywhere. And I started to cry. And then I had an open vision that I was sitting at the throne of God, surrounded by the 24 elders. And I felt the safest I might have ever felt. I cried, I cried and cried and cried and cried in worship here. Because I had this safety. I felt so safe, surrounded by your worship and your praise. You know, God inhabits the praises of his people. And when y'all are up here worshiping and the church is glorifying God and I'm surrounded by it, I felt like the elders were covering me and protecting me and I felt safe in the presence of God while I cried. My little kids come in. The best thing I can do for my kids is lead by example, not just here on a Sunday, but every day. Rejoicing and praising God. It's Deuteronomy 6. When I rise, when I sit down at the park, at the playground, playing sports, whatever it is. Man, praise God. Isn't God so good? Isn't it amazing that he made that man? Woo, come here. Oh, they hurt themselves. Come here. Let me lay hand. Every time they get a little bump, bruise, or scrape, come here. Let me pray for you. So they learn that that's normal. Because God perfects praise through who? out of the mouth of babes and nursing infants God perfects praise and he silences every lie coming against you how many of you are feeling lied to accused deception division discord strife anybody because when I praise him it takes my eyes off that and it creates a barrier when I worship the Lord I'm saying in, a, in an effective sense, forget that. I'm getting my eyes on him. 
my eyes aren't on me anymore. And then my little eyes, my little kids and your kids, you're going to raise my kids if you stay here. I'm going to raise your kids in an atmosphere of worship and praise and family. And I, I know it's messy, but we're working on it. A lot of that mess comes in the front door every Sunday. So let's deal with our hearts. Let's make sure we're not a den of thieves. God knows what he's doing. He's doing it his way in his time. It may seem like a donkey now, but one day he's coming on a horse. He's coming back on a horse, folks. He's coming back on a horse and a rod, a sword's coming out of his mouth and it'll slay the enemies once and for all. Out of the breath of his mouth, he will drive back the deceptive lies of the enemy. So for now, I'm gonna say, God, I praise you. I worship you. Come on, y'all. I'm challenging every single one of you. I'm gonna lovingly say this to all of you. I understand weight, shame, and pain on a Sunday morning. But I also understand it's better for me to give it to him than to sit here and carry it. And I didn't come all this way. I was glad when they said, I was glad when they said, not what the devil said. I was glad when they said, come on, let's go up to the house of the Lord. Praise him, worship him. So let's all become like babes and nursing infants. This, I've never told you to be like a nursing infant before, but I'm gonna tell you today to understand it unless you become like a child. And the issue is so many of you are spiritually adulting in a way you shouldn't be. There's no spiritual adulting. There's no spiritual adulting. Unless you become like a, you can't enter in to the kingdom of heaven. All right, let's all stand.